you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome to the Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me again today. We are in the sort of very hot days of summer here in Texas, and I'm sure where you are as you're listening, Um, but really excited to be back with you uh, again. Um, Before we get to our guest, uh, we have a brand new guest today. Before we get to her, I would like to just remind you about my new book, Agents of Grace. How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. It's out from Zondervan. I've been doing all kinds of media interviews, radio, TV, print, all this stuff. Uh, But would love for you to go get this book and maybe read it yourself, read it with your church, your leader, read it with your elders. really talks about Christian unity, about forgiveness, about cynicism, resentment, all those sort of things. And uh, what are the what are the fights worth fighting as Christians and what are the areas where we should be more open-handed and uh, agree to disagree? I think you'll enjoy it. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, and we have links to all the places you could buy it, or you could just go to your favorite retailer and get that book. It's called Agents of Grace. would love for you to get you to get a copy of it. Okay, today, my guest is Natalie Runyon. Natalie is the founder of Raise to Stay, a ministry for those serving in the local church. She was on staff at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. She's a worship leader, songwriter, a sought-after speaker. I was really, really intrigued by Natalie. I followed her. I think I came up on her on Instagram or some other social media site. She's promoting her new book called Raise to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away, which is really the theme of sort of my book, Agents of Grace. I know there's a lot of negativity about the church, a lot of cynicism about evangelicals. There's this whole sort of deconstruction, evangelical movement. And here's someone in Natalie who says, yes, I've been hurt by the church. Yes, it's it's dispiriting and hurtful, and there's a lot of things in, in, in the church life that are distressing, but here's why I stayed. Here's why I still believe in the church. And so I think you'll want to listen to this conversation, listen to her story. It'll be really encouraging to you. So let's join our conversation with Natalie Runyon. to have on the podcast uh, Natalie Runyon, who uh, has a ministry, Raised to Stay, and has a book coming out by the same name, right? Uh, Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. So uh, Natalie, thanks for joining me. Daniel, thanks for having me. Well, you know, I think I first saw you, I don't know if you wrote something that I read or someone sent me sort of what you're doing on Instagram out of your ministry. And I so resonated with it. We're around the same age. We've both grown up in the church. And yet I feel like I have to say to people, I grew up in the church and I'm not mad about it. I, I love the church, even though I've seen a lot of things, been hurt by the church at times. I'm still bullish on what God is doing through the church. So share a little bit of your story and why you feel God has called you to sort of this kind of ministry, pastor's kid, you're, you've been in ministry for a long time, worship leader, all that stuff. So you've seen a lot. Maybe, maybe share a little bit why you feel called to this kind of ministry to urge people to, despite all of her shortcomings, because she's made up of sinners, 
why you still believe in the church and, and kind of how God brought you here? Well, I think my parents did a beautiful job of teaching us how to love people. I mean, that was the whole reason I loved going to church, potlucks and food and yes. potas and all of the things that made church fun, I sort of absorbed. And it was a nostalgia for me. I would look at the church and I would remember the people before I remembered positions or titles. And my parents did a really good job of getting us excited about being part of the family of God. And as I tried not to be in ministry, as all of us who are pastor's kids or people in ministry attempt, I kept finding myself back in the church. I was drawn to that community. And the thing about loving people is when we love people, we will get hurt by people and we will ultimately as well hurt people. And I think this last 20 years of being an adult, not a pastor's kid, but my own adult self stepping into ministry has been this ebb and flow of loving and hurting, loving and hurting. And you know, all of that and having to reconcile, why am I still here? It's like Paul in Corinthians. He keeps getting back in the boat. Why do I keep showing up and and Mm -hmm. do knowing that I'm going to get hurt. And at the end of the day, it comes down to, I love those people so much that the risk of getting hurt has been worth uh, this reward of seeing people come to Jesus and seeing a healthy and healed church. Uh, But it is an uphill climb right now with everything we're seeing in mainstream media with church abuse, uh, narcissistic, toxic leadership abuse. And we're having to really, you know, find this rhythm of having the hard and holy conversations while also still loving the church. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, because, you know, as I say in Agents of Grace, you know, I've been hurt by the church deeply, but I've been helped by the church. Christians have hurt me, but overwhelmingly Christians have helped me. When I've been in my deepest despair, Christians have brought me casseroles and they've let me use their car and they've given me money and they've given me rides and they've been there to comfort me. And so it's just sort of um, tension, right? And you know, I resonate with what you're saying. I think of the good things the church has given me. You know, I, I think of the hymns, for instance. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, like when I hear a lyric of a hymn, it just wells up inside me so much emotion. Just because having gone to church every week when I was a kid and all that kind of thing. So I'm really glad to hear you say that. There's a lot of talk today. I, I feel like, let's first be honest, there is, there's been a lot of scandal among evangelicals leaders falling, organizations having, you know, corruption, abusive cultures. We don't want to sweep any of that under the rug. But I do think, I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's almost cynicism about Christians is almost a cottage industry right now. Is it not to where there's almost a career path, uh, a genre of just constantly being cynical about the church? Am I wrong about that? Not at all. I mean, first of all, we want to say that if you've been abused by a leader or a pastor, we believe you. We're here. We're here. We want to know that, you know, just as there are uh, wolves in sheep clothing, though, it's become almost popular to be a sheep crying wolf, meaning that 
we um, are hurt by the church, we're hurt by a relationship, and we use that word abuse really quickly because it's a trigger word. It's a it's a hot word. And what we have to remember is when we were growing up, there was no social media to actually capture some of the scandal that was definitely happening in the 80s and 90s. It just wasn't in front of us. So we didn't go into church cynical because we didn't know what was happening down the road, much less around the world. Now, because these scandals are so public, because these fallen pastors and these abuse situations are so in front of us, we're almost creating cynics before they even walk into the church door. Expect people to be a little skeptical. I mean, new people to the church, they're going to come in a little bit like, what am I coming into? But the fact that they're already coming in prepared to be hurt, prepared to be abused, and it hasn't even happened to them. It's almost like secondary church hurt or like secondary smoking. It's like secondhand smoking. We think, you know, is it possible to get cancer sitting next to the person smoking? Well, possibly, but it hasn't happened directly to us yet. We're walking in as if it has. That's such a great way of putting it, you know, that there's, there's this almost secondary thing. And again, we don't want to minimize any of the hurt that's happened. But it does seem that if we are not careful, we can almost be catechized towards cynicism because, you know, we're, we're just fed a daily diet of bad headlines. And look, they, they are there. We know more. You know, if something happens at a church, you know, in you know, 10 states away, we know now because of social media and all that. Some of that's really good. Some of that's toxic, I think, where, you know, faithfulness doesn't make the headlines. A pastor who's faithful th- for 30 years, uh, young people who leave everything and go overseas to help refugees, you know, uh, the church members here are there helping someone during a, after a natural disaster. That stuff just doesn't make headlines. And I, I feel like there's a difference between discernment and cynicism, right? So maybe talk a little bit. How do we fight cynicism? And, and still believe in what God is doing through his people in the church. I think the first thing is discipleship. You know, when we sit down with people who are 20, 30 years older than us, who still love Jesus, who still are in the word, worshiping, and we hear their stories of things they overcame in the Great Depression and through the 70s, and we see really for ourselves what true suffering is, whether it's being overseas and or meeting someone who's not from America and hearing their stories of Christian persecution. When we surround ourselves with the body of Christ, with good saints who know the Word of God, know how to pray. That is like a Paul to our Timothy, right? We want to really be empowered and be encouraged by those who have gone before us. I think the other thing too is being in the word of God ourselves every day and asking the Lord, Lord, the same thing the psalmist did. Search my heart, O Lord, find the wickedness that's in me first. And then let me get this plank out of my own eye before I'm scouring the internet trying to find the speck in someone else's. And so much of what social media has done, it's made us prideful. It's made us look at other people's lives. And if we're not coveting what someone has, we are comparing our lives and saying, well, I'm not as bad as that or whatever. And I think part of this is just humility. It's it's knowing that I'm going to be critical and I'm going to be cynical because there is more information at my hands. But you said it really well. And I think that Chris Vallotton says this as well, that there is a difference between discernment and suspicion. Mm. And he defines suspicion as discernment masked by fear. And what the enemy does is the enemy always twists things that are pure and he perverts it. And so if you have a discerning spirit 
you might also walk in and be suspicious because you're afraid you're going to get hurt. And so we see a leader and we think, well, that's a male leader in their 40s. I've seen on all the documentaries, male leaders in their 40s are bad news. Therefore, that man is bad news versus going in and hoping for the best and saying, oh, that's a male leader in their 40s. I can't wait to learn and grow with them until they prove to me they can't be trusted. So I still think we go in with discernment, but how we go in, it matters. Are we going in suspicious or discerning? I really love that that you said it that way. Difference between discernment and suspicion. Again, doesn't mean we should be naive, have our head in the sand, be Pollyannish. You know, there's genuine scandal and church hurt. Talk a little bit about if you're speaking to someone who has been hurt by the church, and I'm not talking petty things. I'm saying legitimate hurt, betrayal, hurt, abuse, and it's just struggling to say, how do I make sense of this? I believe Jesus is real, but I don't know if I could trust a church body again. What do you say to them? First of all, I lean in and listen. I think always turning to wonder and asking, like, I wonder what has brought this person to this conclusion. I wonder what could have happened to them that they're not even telling me that has caused them to be so scared and untrusting of leadership. I think the church as a whole is just not turning to wonder enough. I think we're quick to defend why we're good. I think we're quick to try to make it all better and put a bandaid on it and say, no, no, just go to a different one. It'll be fine. But I say to those who are struggling, first of all, I hear you and I respect you for the fact that you're being able to willing to talk about this. And I want to know more. And I know that there are other Christians who want to know more. We want to take you to coffee and we want to hear your story. And we want to guide you and love you as a human being, not as a project that we're hoping just to get saved all over again or put back in a church door again. We want you to know the true living God. And we want you to know that the people of God are human, but they're also good and kind. And there are good churches out there, even if the first two you visit aren't, that there are other ones that are available to you and that God is not in a hurry for you to heal tomorrow. Healing is not linear. It's up and down and it has its journey. And and we want to walk that journey with you. You aren't alone. You're not the only person who's been hurt. And and the church is supposed to be a hospital. And so we, as as this generation, have the opportunity to do things differently in a way we haven't seen it done before. And, And that's what I want you to know is that I believe the church is going to get better and better as the Holy Spirit gives us discernment to know when to listen and when to keep our mouths shut. We'll be right back with our guests, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. 
Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. What do you make of some of the... Uh the sort of phenomenon of deconstruction that's going on, you know, people sort of deconstructing their faith. Like, what is your response to some of that? I think deconstruction's healthy if you have the strength and the support system to rebuild something. Um, deconstruction is, a lo- as I like to say, it is more like a detangling. It's saying, I know that there are probably some religious things that have been put on me that aren't even biblical, that are more shame-based than grace-based, that is more man-placed on me and not God-placed on me. Jesus says that his burden, it's light, that there is a yoke that we bear, but it's not one that will crush us and break us. And so anything religious that's been put on us, I know in the 90s, we grew up in that same culture of purity culture. There was such um, a shame based around what we wore and, and how we presented ourselves and if we behaved. And so much of our faith was based off behavior. When I went to public university, one of the very first things I deconstructed or detangled was that my relationship with God was not based off of my behavior, but my belief in him and that my behavior would follow the belief if I was just given a little bit more grace from the Christian community. So I think deconstruction is a good thing when it's things that have been put on us that are enemy shame-based, not grace and love and truth, anything contradictory to the word of God. It says in the word of God that we're to pull down those high things that we aren't to pull them down. And high things are just anything that is contradictory to the word of God. And a lot of us were raised under people's interpretations of scripture, not exactly what scripture said. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I think, you know, it does seem there's a kind of, there's a difference between separating, you know, truth from maybe false things that we've been taught that have been attached to Christianity and a kind of deconstruction for the sake of deconstruction where it's like, I'm going to reject everything that I, that I was taught and popular deconstruction, which is basically you know, abandoning the core tenets of the Christian faith, right? And and I think it does seem there's a healthy version of evaluating and saying, okay, what does the Bible really say? What does it not say? What are things that I thought were truth and are not versus like, I'm going to reject everything, right? Yeah. And Lisa Bevere writes in my foreword, she actually says deconstruction without any intention to rebuild is just destruction. Mm. I think that Mm. destruction is what the enemy is hoping everyone does, that we just burn it all down, throw the baby out with the bathwater and all just turn our backs on God, which I don't believe he's going to get that because I believe that as I believe C.S. Lewis writes that Jesus, that God is this great hound of heaven that is constantly pursuing us. And so whether we've wandered for a day or we've wandered for 10 years, he is on that pursuit of us. And so if we completely, you know, burn it all down, that doesn't mean that we're hopeless. It just means it's a longer road to rebuild. And I and I think if you don't have enough people around you to help you, counseling, uh, spiritual direction, mentors, disciplers, then you are kind of left alone to try to figure out what to do with the pieces. And we might give up if we don't have that support around us. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, what you're saying in this book, Race to Stay, is almost countercultural, even among the sort of Christian culture, because there's so much negativity about the church, about evangelicals. Like every, every, I feel like there's every day there's a new book released. I grew up evangelical. I'm no longer evangelical. All sorts of these things. And one of the things that's been convicting to me, Natalie, is that 
you know, the Bible tells us Jesus loves the church. He loves his bride. He doesn't just tolerate the church. He doesn't just put up with the church. He he loves the church. And yet for many Christians, for many of us, there's a temptation to sort of distance ourselves from the church, distance ourselves from the bride that Christ actually loves. So talk about the necessity of the body of Christ for the life of a Christian. Like what, you know, to someone who says, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I love Jesus, but I can't do organized religion. What do you say to those people? Well, I mean, we've seen this example before where somebody, you're married to somebody and your best friend says, well, I like you, but I don't like your wife. <laughs> you know, well, we, we can't hang out then, right? If you, if you love me, but you don't love my husband or you love me and you don't love my wife, then like there's, that's hard for us to have a relationship because the bride of Christ is the bride of Christ. The, the church is God's idea. And so for a lot of people, you know, when they say, I love God, but I don't love his church. Well, you know, you're separating yourself from the very thing that God built to bring community. When we just had, you know, Pentecost Sunday and we look at the church of Acts and we see what they had, they had unity. They had an expectation for the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell among them. There was worship and there was this, this whole go and make disciples thing that they were all in one accord with. And I think when we forsake the gathering of the saints, we for, we forsake the blessing of the Lord because in the Bible, the Lord says that where there is unity, it commands his blessing. And so the church is this expression of Christ that can't be separated from Christ. Christ is the church. The church is Christ. It's his idea. We are this bridegroom. And I understand why we might need a break. Listen, when I, when I was in college after being a pastor's kid, I needed a hot minute. I needed to not be in a church for a little while. But I had this longing inside of me that was supernatural to be part of the gathered saints. And I believe in the word of God. It says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And so we hear these commands. We hear them and I know it's like, well, you don't know God. You don't know what I've been through. No, he does know what we've been through and he's walked with us. And trust me, one Sunday morning when I was a senior in high school, I showed up in my dad's church and I was told today is your last Sunday, pack up the parsonage. You don't have a home anymore. And I felt rejected by the very people who were supposed to protect us for 20 years. And so I understand what it feels like to be cast out and orphaned by the very institution that's supposed to protect you. But what I've learned along the way is that God always works through the church. He will provide, like you said, Mm. healing if we will just not give it all up and still give it a chance. Right. And I, I just love that. I mean, there's not really a New Testament Christianity that happens without the church. I mean, if you think of the, all the epistles were written to churches, they're written to local churches. The commands we're giving are in the plural. It's assuming we're living out this life in community. You know, it's just the way we're wired as humans to, to live in community, but also the reality that if you be, if you are a believer, you are baptized into this body, you're part of this family. It's, it's kind of our, our duty to sort of, to do that. And obviously people that go through difficult pains and hurts. You know, there's times sometimes people have to leave and go to another church or find another body. But really, I'm afraid if people are away for too long, they form habits that become almost like postures and it's in it. It's really bad for our spiritual lives, right? To be disconnected that way. Um, so I'm I'm so glad that you are doing this. And it's almost countercultural. It's refreshing to say hey, I've been in the church my whole life. I grew up, I've seen behind the curtain. I've seen backstage. I've 
pastor's kid and I've done ministry my whole life and I still love the church. And what a, what a refreshing message. I actually think most church people believe that, you know, if you get outside of the headlines and the green rooms and, and everything that the body of Christ is mostly, mostly made up of ordinary Christians, right. That are just trying to live the life that God has called them to live to the best that they can. Right. You know, we, we just moved from Colorado to Kentucky and we have gone back to my husband's home church, which is this little Pentecostal church in the hills here mm. in Kentucky. And I walked in Sunday morning and it was, it, the worship was going and, and these sweet saints were in their dresses and they're hugging each other and these men in suits are shaking hands and there's this honor in the house, but there's this presence of God that is so tangible. And my daughter who's 14 has not been raised in that environment. You know, she's been, you know, raised in larger churches uh, where it's harder to get to everybody. And it's just a lot bigger. And the minute she walked into the sweet sanctuary where the hymns were flowing and the people were hugging my 14 year old during worship is just weeping tears, these Mm. huge Mm. tears falling down her face. And she said, mom, it's just like we belong. Like I just, I know Mm. people love me. And even my 14 year old who's grown up in church, she could sense that there was something special with the gathered people of God in one space. And it was mm, an emotion. Mm. It was it was that Holy Spirit that just was filling that room and it was filling my daughter. And, and that's why we go because we go with anticipation and expectation that God's going to do something special among his people. Um, we go every Sunday with that hope. And, and, and that's why I show up, not because I expect everybody to be perfect, but because I expect God to be there. Man, I love that. And you know what I've discovered? It's the cumulative effect of a lifetime of going to church. I mean, I can think of maybe a dozen messages that I heard like conference messages or or like camp messages that really are life-changing. But when I look back at my life, it's mostly been ordinary sermons that I've forgotten, but going every week, week after week, year after year, that form that really have shaped me, hearing the hymns, hearing the praise songs, hearing new songs, you know, talking to regular saints, hearing good preaching that over a lifetime forms us. What a gift. I think of my parents who are first generation Christians who taught, made us go to church. What a gift that was that they gave us that habit, that discipline. And now we're onto our third generation of kids. And I want my kids to have that same thing as well. So we don't often think of it that way, right? That it's week after week over a lifetime. It's one of my favorite memories is being forced to go to church, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 If your parents made you go to church, that was a gift, right? It was. Well, I want to encourage folks to get this really important book, Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away by Natalie Runyon. Man, it's so refreshing, a refreshing counter to so much negativity out there about the church, about evangelicals, about what God is doing in the world. Natalie, thank you for joining me. Grateful for your ministry and uh, hope folks really, really get this book. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. 
If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.